Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. We're your partners in wine, crime, and time. But you know, we know only as much as um, two people with communications degrees know. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah, let everybody know how we are kind of going to school again today. We are getting schooled. Very exciting. Um, I'm excited to welcome my friend and attorney, Josh Greenberg. Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I am a intellectual property and entertainment lawyer at Prior Cashman. So I do a lot of work in the traditional entertainment space, digital media and tech, copyright and trademark. Exciting. We're, we're excited to have you on today because we're going to be talking about some copyright and trademark drama. If you guys have been in the news, you might have seen some uh, wild accusations about Shein, that fast fashion company that I feel like we see on every influencer everywhere. I know. It's so funny. At first, they were just getting pushback for like their influencer trip. And I was like, oh, this is who I would people think that this is a good idea to do. And then I was like, oh, now they're in trouble for acronyms. And acronyms usually mean legal things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're just going to briefly run down what's going on in the headlines for you. And then we're going to ask Josh some questions. But if we are saying anything that's wrong, please jump in at any time. (laughs) Josh, do you want to give a little disclaimer before we get into all the drama? Oh, sure. Yeah. While I am a lawyer, I am not your lawyer. uh, I'm just providing generalized legal information, not legal advice. I don't represent Sheehan or the plaintiffs in this case. So an outside objective sort of voice here. Yes. Ooh, also, wait, I love objective. Yeah. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's objection, but I, I felt it like objective. And also when you were like, I am a lawyer, I'm not your lawyer. It was giving like, like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that's what I always see on uh, our legal advice. Do you guys ever, you probably don't go on that subreddit, but anybody else? <laughs> okay. No, but that's what they always say when they answer. Um, great subreddit. You guys should read it. That's why I think I have a law degree. <laughs> Uh, So here's a brief kind of summary of what's going on. Um, On July 3rd, three designers filed a complaint in California court accusing Sheehan of engaging in egregious copyright infringement that they say constitutes racketeering, which is intense, and we will get into it. And so they say Sheehan sold, quote, truly exact copies of copyrightable graphic design, end quote. Why don't we actually jump in here, Josh? Can you explain what constitutes a copyrightable graphic design? Sure. So copyright is one of four, let's say, main types of intellectual property. Intellectual property covers patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. So copyright's one category, and copyright protects original works of authorship. And the other requirement is that it's fixed in a tangible medium of expression. So what it doesn't cover is... uh, ideas, concepts. Uh, It has to be a creative or sort of original work that you come up with and you then put on a piece of paper or you code into a computer. So for example, 
a musical composition that you write, you know, at the notes to or the lyrics to a song, um, a graphic design that you make on a computer or by, you know, by hand, you an illustration, a painting, a book, anything that you are sort of coming up with in your head as a creative expression. The legal jargon is that, that you reduce it to sort of a written expression. Um, it you sort of fixate it in a tangible medium is, is is what we would say. So what's something that's like not copyrightable? I feel like ideas, concepts, particularly in the fashion space, generalized style okay. is not protectable. Certain elements of a garment might be protectable. So the design, and I'm probably getting ahead of you here, but now the, the, the design, like a unique pattern may be protectable as sort of a graphic work that is fixed in the garment. Um, but the concept of having a dress with a particular neckline, mm -hmm. not protectable. And like florals for spring. Florals <laughs> for spring. <laughs> um, so I purposely wore this shirt because I wanted Love to it. show you that, <laughs> you know, a kind of a regular green shirt with blue checks, not protectable. Okay. Anybody can, I mean, this is a Ralph Lauren shirt, but, you know, any uh, <laughs> yes. J. Crew, Banana Republic, Gap, Madewell, any of these companies can make a green button-down shirt with a blue check pattern, and nobody's really infringing copyright. For sure. You know what I'm so, and I know this is already a tangent two minutes in, I'm already <laughs> so curious, because I feel like everybody has been seeing 90 million, like, Barbie-inspired merches, little Etsy, like things like that. And then I feel Mattel is, uh, Mattel's lawyers, I feel are probably gonna be surfing the internet for all of those. <laughs> it's interesting because part of the calculus is also what is it doing for the brand? Is it, right, you know, and, that, and that's not a legal, you know, position, but it's it's a business position that you might say, well, that's a trade-off. Do I, you know, do I want the viral moment Am I going to sort of allow certain things to slide? And also, this happened to Beyonce. Like, do you, and Taylor Swift, I think, like, do you want to get caught going after a small oh, business yeah, right. and dealing with That's that PR? True. Even if you are right, it doesn't always oh. look good. Right. Yeah. It's not right, but it's okay. When he's going to Your Honor. <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> um, so the Barbie thing trends more to trademark though. And with trademark, oh. you don't have to enforce every single instance of infringement in order to maintain your trademark rights. So that is a real trade-off that you make. Is, is the potential defendant, you know, a small mom and pop shop that, you know, you're gonna probably catch a lot of heat online for going after? Is it amplifying your brand? You know, is the viral moment and the viral trend elevating your brand where it's, it might be helping you. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Then on the other side of it, and this is, we can get into this further with Shein, Shein's strategy also is to, in some way, play this corporate shell game where you can't figure out who to sue. Mm. And it's going to take you so much money as a potential plaintiff in order to enforce your rights. I have this conversation with clients a lot <laughs> where they could be completely right that their copyrights or their trademarks were infringed. And at some point, we have to make a cost-benefit analysis as to, well, how much do we think we can get and how difficult is it going to be to get that? Are, are we going to be run around in circles and are the legal fees going to rack up, rack up until it's like not feasible to, right. to really go after these people? 
Right. So to to back you guys up and to get everybody up to speed on the sort of racketeering of it all. So um, back to this copyright case, one of the designers, they sold a graphic poster with the words make it fun in like a certain kind of block lettering and Jean sold very similar, if not the same block lettering on a poster for $3, which I just ah. feel like adds a lot of oh, insult yeah. to injury. Like I even ship that. <laughs> yeah, right. And apparently when confronted, she and offered them $500 and they were basically like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and two other designers are alleging that she and sold exact copies of their designs. And in addition to copyright infringement, they're saying it amounts to a violation of the RICO Act, which stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, which was passed in 1970. And you guys probably know it as uh, a way to fight organized crime because basically before this, prosecutors could only try each mob-related crime individually and this kind of like just allowed them to mm. try people for like, you know, if you kill someone while you're also extorting them. But it's not just used for the mafia. Apparently, it's also been used to prosecute white-collar crimes like Enron and Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. And I know there's a music like a... Uh young slime life or was that that is kind of dealing with this too i just remember reading that so I sure like rico rico's really that that's an acronym i i read a lot and i'm like uh-oh <laughs> so rico's interesting rico is meant to capture all the cogs in a larger machine it's it's supposed to allow you to go after the larger criminal enterprise so let's say you have a web of companies which is the case with Shan. You have a web of disconnected companies, maybe one's a parent or a subsidiary, one's affiliated, but not really related um, on paper. But they're all sort of playing a role in the larger criminal or illegal activity. Whether or not it was, you know, person A or company A that quote unquote pulled the trigger. Okay. Everybody is participating. So everybody gets dragged into it. Okay. Um, so with organized crime, for example, yes, that, that's how RICO was used initially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, in particular, to go after the mafia. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, mobster A pulled the trigger to whack somebody, yeah. it would still implicate the entire group, the that entire organization, because mm -hmm. they're all sort of participating in, so, and knowingly, by the way, they're knowingly and intentionally participating in the larger criminal Enterprise. Yes, that makes sense. Also, I did just start watching The Sopranos. I'm on season two, so I'm like, of course, Tony. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Sarah, Sarah's like, yeah, I understand everything that's going on. Yeah, I'm like, Uncle June, of course. Um, <laughs> Can you tell us how, because I, I mean, we've all probably heard this in relation to the mob, but I always thought that the RICO statute was something that the government used. I didn't know that just regular ass people could invoke this as yeah. well. Yeah, so there are two sides to the RICO Act. Most commonly, there's the criminal side where a prosecutor, like famously Rudy Giuliani, cut his teeth as a prosecutor in going after the mob, you know, under the RICO statute. It allows prosecutors to prosecute again for the, the larger enterprise and all the cogs in it for crimes. Then there is the civil right of action, which basically means that if you have a lawsuit for damages like copyright or trademark infringement, you can also, as a private individual, as a private plaintiff, add on the RICO statute as an additional offense. Generally, you need 
what's referred to as a predicate offense, which is an underlying illegal action. So copyright infringement, trademark infringement. Um, and then you could say, and also this was all done in furtherance of this larger enterprise that's all engaged in all these bad things. And so we should, instead of trying to figure out which one to sue, we're going to try and get everybody. Interesting. So how Sheehan kind of fits into this is that the complaint is alleging that Sheehan, quote, engages in a pattern of copyright infringement as part of its effort to produce 6,000 new items each day. That's insane. That is so many items. And I'll just, uh, just so you know. Yes. Relative, so 6,000 a day, 1.3 million in a year relative to the gap. There's one study that was cited in the complaint. Said yeah. The gap produced 12,000 SKUs. In a year, whoa! H and M did twenty five thousand, whoa! And Zara did thirty five thousand. Again, compared to one point three million, that is so bleak. Yeah. Oh my god! I would say who is buying this shit, but like no one. Like I feel like there's not enough people on earth <laughs> to buy all this stuff. Well, I mean, it's really. I mean, their whole business model is super interesting, and and the, the complaint itself details how they operate, where they they only put out a hundred to two hundred SKUs or or units of a SKU. Okay to test the water to see what hits. Oh. And they don't have to invest like H&M, Zara, or Gap does in the manufacturing a thousand or several thousands of units when there's so much turnover on their site, you know, in, in terms yeah. of product. And I guess too, like when you're saying like, who's buying it, like, cause they sell stuff for so cheap. People are like, eh, I'll throw in a $5 t-shirt. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're not like versus like Zara and like, or like a regular going into a store where things are like, am I gonna spend $60 on that? I was like, their whole thing is just, it's quantity over quality. Truly. And this is what gets to the RICO piece because they're able to do this because they allegedly are engaging in illegal activity, whether it's tax evasion. So they're able to import their products without paying tariffs, mm. which allows them, according to the complaint, allows them to reduce the price by like 10 or 15% to, relative to their competitors. Wow. Whether it's using forced labor or sourcing questionable products or, or you know, materials to make their products, whether it is not paying designers and instead <laughs> making AI-generated designs that infringe upon other designers' products, allegedly. Alleged well, the forced labor, too, is a huge issue because uh, there was this whole congressional report from last June that like detailed all these allegations of forced labor. And then Sheehan was just like, we have zero tolerance for forced labor. I'm like, what? Well, and then, you know, we talked at the top of the top of the podcast, we talked about their influencer trip, right? Did, yeah. Does, does, does the allegations are that the influencer Ooh. trip was supposed to sort of smooth things over and say, look, we don't have any forced labor. Look at how wonderful our, our factories are, clean and white. It's totally and, real and factory. And sterile. And, yeah, exactly. So. They're like, that's an au bon pawn. Why are you all just here? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, this would. I feel like if this did work, it would be like wild. Right, like if this whole case, I mean, what what would what could be the result? Would she get shut down, or would it just like? It's a great question because the short answer is that we don't know. Okay. According to the a Wall Street Journal article from last year, as of 2022, they had 50 different federal copyright and trademark infringement lawsuits against them within the last th the preceding three years. Whoa. Wow. So. This is not the first copyright and trademark infringement lawsuit. This I, I'm not sure if it's the first one that tacks on the RICO allegation, but it, this is not their first IP lawsuit. 
the reason why we don't actually know how it's going to play out is because so many lawsuits will settle out of court subject to confidentiality and a non-disparagement restriction. Ah. So all that will be said is this lawsuit was dismissed. The parties decided out of court that they'll settle. And we really are not going to know the amount of the settlement. And so unless, look, these these plaintiffs could take it to the end and refuse to settle and um, you know, assuming that it doesn't, the, the case doesn't get dismissed on technical grounds or um, for some other reason, maybe they take it to the end. Maybe they get. I mean, they're they're claiming a ton of money and damages. They don't actually even specify the amount of money and damages. They just say basically all profits plus punitive damages, which are basically penalties on top of the lost profits, actual damages plus an injunction against Sheehan to stop basically their infringing activity. Mm. Do you think it would be a th- like, would she and be able to be like, oh my God, wait, we didn't realize we're doing that. We're so sorry. <laughs> we'll just, our bad, our bad, our bad. And then they try to go back to not doing it and then just doing the same shit. In that, a year or so. it, it's a great question because you will often have people say that they're quote unquote innocent infringers. Mm-mm. What this lawsuit does, and this is required by the, in order to add on the RICO violation, it's required to make this showing as well, that it was knowing and willful. They intentionally, purposely infringed copyright and trademark rights of other people. So this lawsuit's basically saying that there's no way that it was sort of ignorant or mistaken infringement. And they go through these factual allegations where they, it's almost baked into their business practice to, 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 in order to show willfulness. They say that they intentionally are only putting out 100 or 200 units per SKU initially to see if anybody notices that they're infringing. Oh. And then if somebody does notice they're infringing, they will say, by the way, oh, we didn't know. It was a third-party <laughs> dist- uh, manufacturer that just sold on our site, almost like an Amazon marketplace seller. Yeah, uh-oh. Um, you know, we don't we respect copyright and trademark rights and we didn't we didn't know this was happening. We were just handed pre-manufactured goods and we put them on the website. Here's 500 bucks and make it go away. Ooh. Then they'll double down. Uh, this is all according to the to the complaint. Yes. They'll double down and say, "Well, actually, you couldn't even sue me." internationally anyway um oh, wait okay that's my new that's okay that's my so new tagline for um, life and then then they'll say well you have the wrong entity and this again goes to the rico oh, thing, okay right they'll oh, say oh you have the wrong entity th- there you know so let's put it out on a mug I, <laughs> there's a whole org chart in this complaint it talks about you know all these different nested affiliate entities and parent entities Yeesh. nobody knows who did what and they'll basically say Oh, you're contacting Sheehan, uh, you know, Sheehan Distribution Corporation. We didn't do that. Well, who did? We don't know. We're not going to tell you. When, or you'll contact Stylink Logistics LLC, which is the entity, according to the complaint, entity that provides some of Sheehan's logistics and fulfillment services in the United States. They're part of the en- the enterprise because they're fulfilling these orders. Right. Okay, but we didn't manufacture them. Oh, my God. Right? So they'll bop you around to all of these companies <laughs> And as a, as a plaintiff with a lawyer that's going, or a potential plaintiff with a lawyer, that's going to cost you legal fees to figure out, do all this investigation, who to sue, where to go. And at some point you just say, all right, I'm going to take the $500 and go. 
That's so diabolical. Yeah, I mean, oh damn! But that's how they stay. That's how they've been staying in business for so long. But Yeesh. and and they're saying that this is baked into the business practice of Shein, and 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 they're operating a criminal enterprise. It's time for us to rage against the machine. <laughs> <laughs> and unrelated to that, I do have to dip out early because I got invited to an influencer trip to look at a really ethical factory. Um, <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Guys, I swear. Um, no, it's. I've heard it's really good. But I'm going to dip out while you guys finish and also unpack more stuff. So in other protection protection news, I think, because it's not copyright. This is something that Josh has told me before we started. So on Sunday night, out of the blue, Elon Musk announced he was going to scrap Twitter's iconic bird logo and replace it with an X. And sure enough, he did that and also tried to take the Twitter sign on the actual offices down and replace it with an X, but apparently got stopped because he yeah, didn't have that. like the right permit or something. Like, yeah. oh, idiot. And there are just a couple of problems with this. One being that many companies already own the trademark for X, including Meta and Microsoft. So my first question is, if Twitter, could Twitter get sued for trying to rebrand and change the logo? Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. So my other question is, how can Meta and Microsoft both trademark X? Like, how do multiple companies trademark? Also, just a letter. <laughs> like, how is that allowed? It, it, it's a good question. So... Trademark generally protects brand identity and and logos and brand names and anything that you would associate with a brand identity. Right. I feel like to go back to your shirt, like how the green and the blue checks is not protected, but like I can't make a shirt with like the polo logo Correct. on it. Okay. Yeah. And again, that's why I wore this shirt because I wanted yes. I wanted to distinguish <laughs> that the little horse is identified with and also registered with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, identified with Polo Ralph Lauren. Okay. And so you could not produce another shirt with a little identical or confusingly similar, which is a, a term of art that we use in, in law and trademark, uh, either the same or confusingly similar little horsey logo. Okay. So to that point, like how can multiple companies trademark the same thing? Generally speaking, trademark owners will only get exclusive rights to use their trademark, their logo, their brand identity in connection with the goods and services that they produce, offer for sale, license, um, basically offer to the public. So if you produce beverages, you might get exclusive rights to your trademark in the beverage space. Maybe food and beverage, because food and beverage is kind of an extension. You get some sort of leeway around not just strictly your product, but kind of the stuff on the fringe. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't not necessarily get trademark rights for a mobile app. Very different. Okay. For clothing. Very different, unless you are also offering those things. Right. Okay. So Microsoft and Meta may be offering different goods and services under the same or confusingly similar trademark. And that's how they can coexist. Okay. Um, there are a ton of registered trademarks that and unregistered trademarks that coexist within the marketplace for identical or nearly identical words, logos, combination of words and logos, as long as they're being used for different goods and services. Okay. So where 
Twitter's may get in trouble. We don't know yet. Um, is whether their X is you know, confusingly similar to either Meta and or Microsoft's X and are also used in connection with either the same or similar goods or services. So Twitter, let's say, let's sort of generalize what Twitter is. Twitter is a social media platform that that enables users to post user-generated content, talk to each other, um, publish their own sort of thoughts and, and feelings and repost things. If Meta and or Microsoft is offering similar technology products under X, that's when it creeps into um, their their exclusive rights and, and their space. So my question is this, because I remember Kylie Jenner tried to trademark Kylie and the courts were like, you can't do that. That's too general. So is it, it can't be just the letter X, right? Is it like a specifically designed X? So a trademark does not necessarily have to be any longer than an X in order to be protectable, as long as there are certain protectable elements to it, right? So when, when you're talking about trademark protectability, trademarks have to be distinct. Mm -hmm. um, a generic or a descriptive word or phrase for the products themselves are not going to be protectable in most cases. A made-up word or a word that has a dictionary definition for one thing but is used for something else, so like apple, not the fruit, but for a technology yeah. product, <laughs> that would be protectable. Those okay. are the stronger trademarks. Um, a suggestive trademark like Greyhound for fast bus services, <laughs> a, it, it suggests some sort of quality about the goods or services. Okay. Protectable. A descriptive trademark like Tasty for videos about cooking. Okay. That maybe is a little cuspy. Well, we're making tasty food on camera. Like that, oh, interesting. that, that may be descriptive of, of the qualities or, or content. That really is only protectable if it's been used in commerce for several years and the general public would come to associate tasty with cooking videos, which I think BuzzFeed could argue. Yeah. Um, but kind of slapping water on a bottle of water and trying to sell it, that, that's generic. <laughs> you, you, you can't get trademark protection for it. So as far as X goes, it's not generic or descriptive if it has you know some other unique or distinctive quality to it in the way that it's used. Maybe it's the way that it's de it's designed. So if it's, you know, more than just kind of like a sans serif X, maybe I've, you know, obviously Twitter has stylized it a little bit, which by the uh. way, I also read uh, <laughs> that they just purchased or, or allegedly maybe didn't purchase the stylized X. Um, of course. <laughs> uh, it, of course. It, it, from like from like a font designer, basically. <laughs> he went on defont.com yeah, and was like, sure. It was something like that, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I, again, these are all things that have been just reported on. Yeah. I don't, you know, we don't know exactly what's true and what's not, but... Um, I'm also, if this guy, if this man fired the whole content moderation team, like, I don't feel like he's hiring graphic designers. <laughs> Fair. <sighs> but we, we don't know. The key question with Meta and or Microsoft versus Twitter is, like I said, whether the way that the X is used on Twitter gets too close to the way in which Microsoft and or Meta have registered their trademarks. Or they're just using their trademarks. Or like I said, the tangential extensions, the reasonable extensions from those types of goods and services. 
Okay. So so maybe they could sue, but we don't really know yet. Yeah. I mean, and one of the other things that may be alleged, you know, is that you have to in, you have to continue using your trademark in order to maintain the rights. Okay. So, you know, the other question becomes have Meta and or Microsoft continued to use their trademarks as they've said they are or okay. have they kind of let them kind of fall by the wayside in their branding? That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't even heard of whatever this Meta X thing was anyway. Neither have I. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've heard of obviously the Microsoft product. Yeah. I I don't know what the Meta X product is. Me either. Ugh. Well, some background on this whole situation is that Elon is literally obsessed with the letter X. In 2000, he tried to rebrand PayPal into X.com. But in focus groups, people thought it was a porn site because <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, that's what people have been saying, by the way, about how this X was designed, too. Like, you know, the, I saw one screenshot of somebody put it in their browser and they're like, this looks like a porn site. It does. I mean, especially because it's like, it's I like don't know, black, the black on yeah, white. Exactly. Like, it looks like a place that you don't want to let people know you're going. Yeah. Incognito <laughs> mode. Exactly. And the worst part about that was when he tried to do this, like, PayPal was already becoming a ubiquitous term. Like, oh, just PayPal me the money, which I feel like is what every brand wants. Yes and no, though. Ooh, interesting. Okay. So those wonders for your brand identity, right? So if you are known as the place to go for search engine right? Google. Yeah. Of course you want to be the top product and the, the top service that, you know, everybody goes to and everybody thinks of when they think, think, where do I go for a search engine or where do I go for adhesive bandages? Right? <laughs> However, there's a concept in trademark known as genericide. Okay. When people in the general purchasing public start referring to your product sort of generically, like get me a Band-Aid, I don't necessarily need it from the Band-Aid Johnson & Johnson brand right. box, I could just take any adhesive generic bandage. That's a problem, right? So take an escalator. Escalators used to be a, a, a trademark term. Really? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> um, Velcro. Yeah. Because they've become the ubiquitous term for the product itself, no matter who manufactured it, the original trademark owners have lost their trademark rights. Because again, oh. trademark protects your brand identity. It identifies the source of your goods and services. So if you're allowing any other company that's selling in Rite Aid or Dwayne Reed or CVS to call your product, your adhesive bandages, Band-Aids, or your tissues Kleenex, your photocopy Xerox, uh -huh. all of these brands, by the way, have done campaigns, PR campaigns, to fight genericide. Wow. And they say, Please don't call the photocopy a Xerox. Oh. Please don't call your adhesive bandage a Band-Aid because they want to make sure that only you're oh, only wow. calling their product a Band-Aid or their product a Xerox or their product, well, not Velcro because Velcro has become generic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, so he he did that and apparently this is so funny to me that this idea like sucked so much and was so insistent. He was so insistent on doing it that he literally got ousted in a coup from PayPal. Oh, yeah. So that's that. By Peter Thiel. And I feel like if that happens to you, then, <laughs> then things are going a certain way. Yeah. I mean, look, it speaks to, I think, and this is not a, a legal position, <laughs> but but but, it's, but it speaks to, I think, sort of the foresight in, in branding, yeah. you know, your, your, your content. And going back to, to Sheehan as well, it's like, it speaks to the overall culture of respecting IP rights. Are you valuing 
you know, the, the clearance process. So when, when a client has an idea for a product um, and, and for, for a brand or, or for a piece of particularly media content, generally they're going to, the, the diligent ones are going to call their lawyers and the lawyers are going to run a clearance check to make mm -hmm. sure that nobody has X <laughs> for the product or service that you want to launch. And we would say, oh, actually, Microsoft has an X for this. Meta has an X for that. Maybe reconsider the the, the branding or figure out how to distinguish the branding. Yeah, you, you don't just announce on a Sunday night you're doing this and then by Monday morning you've done this thing. Right. And and the same thing with, with copyrighted designs. Are you going to do your due diligence to make sure that this poster, this patch doesn't cut too close to the original? Well, it's all very interesting. And I feel like we'll have to see how this all plays out. I feel like it would be so dramatic if there was a Rico courtroom showdown with GN. I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, there. and by the way, there is no magic number for how you have to change your your you know your copyrightable designs uh -huh. there's how to change your trademark in order to make it distinct or protectable in the copyright space and in, in fashion sometimes people will say you have to change three four maybe five different distinct elements in order mm -hmm. to distinguish from the original but there, there is no there is no real magic number and the same thing goes with, with trademark how do you change your logo to distinguish from a prior existing logo or how do you uh, change your your word mark it's more, in some way, it's a quantitative assessment, but it, in other ways, it's really a qualitative assessment about how similar these things are. Right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on it because the case is alleging that it's exactly the same. So. Oh, well, yeah. No, I, <laughs> there's no question here that, I mean, they're exact reproductions. Yeah. Um, or as Gen Z likes to call it, dupes, which <laughs> is, is a cute way of saying a counterfeit. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as a dupe. Um, yeah, that's a whole that's a that's a whole other topic. Oh I feel. yeah, we could have you back on. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so informative. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. Please follow us on Instagram and Not Another True Crime. You can join the Facebook group, Not Another True Crime group. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Lamim. Also, please give us five stars if you are enjoying us, and follow Danny at Cashmere Danny with a K. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Picot, Sean Kilby, and Rebecca Sosmacat. Editing by Jorge Morales-Picot. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at Not Another True Crime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send all of your emails to natc at betches.com. Betches.